So I had been part of the Gateway family for quite some time with my husband Sam and uh, my three children. And uh, yeah, this is the first time I'm preaching and I was really hoping it will be emptier than this. <laughs> so I get into the car park and it's already full. I'm like, you know? Yeah, anyway. So we are continuing with the uh, series on the book of Esther, God Behind the Scenes. And last week, Matt did an amazing job. I mean, uh, I was at the kids' church last week, so I watched it on Thursday on Facebook, and I was like, oh, what am I going to do now? (laughs) Anyway, so if you did miss it, please uh, watch it on Facebook or Gateway Gateway website, okay? Right, so... uh, just catching up on the story so far. Um, the per- Persian king Xerxes, okay, holds this massive banquet and lavish banquets, lots of food, lots of drinks. He calls all his officials or the people of Persia to this banquet. And um, at this banquet, whilst drunk, he asks his queen Vashti to come and parade herself before um, the people, and she refuses. And this really humiliates the king. Imagine you have your army officials and all these people who respect you, and your wife just disrespects you just like that, you know? So he's angry, and then he asks for advice, and he, the queen eventually is deposed, and um, a new queen is chosen, Esther, who happens to be a Jewish girl. And, and Esther was raised by her uncle, uh, no, not uncle, cousin, Mordecai, okay? Uh, Let's pray, please. Father, thank you for this morning and for the gathering of your people, O Lord. We pray that may your Holy Spirit be with us, O God. Speak through me, O God. Use me and speak to your people, O God. May the message come from you. Prepare each and everybody's hearts to receive your message that we may not leave this place the same way we came. Amen. Okay. So we start with reading, uh, I've been asked to read, um, preach from Esther 2, verse 19, right through to 3, verse 15. So we'll read now Esther 2, 19 to 23 from the NIV. Okay, so it says, okay, it's there. Now, when the virgins were gathered together the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. In other uh, translations, it says Mordecai became an official at the, at the palace. So Esther had not made known her kindred or her kind, as Mordecai had commanded her. For Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. Carry on. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Xerxes. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther, and Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. When the affair was investigated and found to be, to be so, the men, the men both hanged on the gallows and was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. Okay, so the book of Esther is full of... Um, Coincidences, really, like fortunate coincidences and reversals, okay? Like things that were meant to happen one way doesn't happen that way and happens, like the reverse of that happens. And this is a very typical example of such things happening. So, um, uh, what was I saying? 
Okay, so this is a very typical one, and um, it will make sense as the weeks goes on and then we go through the book of Esther. And how this bit that we've just read relates to what I'm just talking about is we'll find out more when we read chapter 6, but we, we don't have time to read chapter 6, so I'll, I'll tell you. I mean. So Mordecai just happens to be at the gate, okay? He, he was an official at the gate, but he just happens to be on duty that day, okay? And then... He just happens to hear these two people plotting to kill the king. Again, another coincidence, or we would think it's a coincidence, is Mordecai knows someone in the palace who would be able to tell the king. So if Mordecai hearing this, if he didn't know anybody who could tell the king, it would have made no difference, okay? Because even that king, the king, his queen couldn't just go in front of him without him calling her or summoning her. She could die that way. Like, you couldn't just go to the king. So it was important that someone that was close to the king or had the king's ear would know, would know Mordecai, or Mordecai would know someone like that. Okay, so again, another coincidence. Then Mordecai gets credit for being the informer, but receives no reward at that time. Again, the, uh, and then the, record, the events are recorded in the book of the history of King Xerxes, of King Xerxes' reign. Later in chapter six, another series of coincidences occur, and this time around, the king saves Mordecai. So at this point, what we've read, Mordecai saves the king, okay? And then in chapter six, the reverse of that sort of happens. So the king didn't re re reward Mordecai at that time. But later in chapter six, Haman had plotted to kill Mordecai one particular day. So he heads off to the king's palace to inform him of his plans. The night before that, the king couldn't sleep. Another coincidence, maybe? Or is God moving again in mysterious ways? So he couldn't sleep. He requests for the records of his reign to be read to him. And then he finds out that he didn't actually reward Mordecai when, when Mordecai saved him. So as Haman gets to the courts, ready to tell the king to kill Mordecai, the king asks Haman, what should I do? for someone who's done something for me and I haven't rewarded him. So Mordecai thinking it's him goes, and oh, sorry, Haman, thinking it's him, tells the king, oh, do this, do that, do that. And then it turns out that it's rather Mordecai that God wants to honor. So the day that Mordecai is supposed to die, he's actually honored by who, and the person that actually has to take Mordecai out was Haman, the man that wanted to kill him that day. So that day, instead of, Mordecai dying, he's actually honored instead. And this is where another reverse where you've got the king, Mordecai saving the king, and the king now saving Mordecai's life. So sometimes in our lives, God does things that, or certain things happen in our lives that we don't even know what that is for, okay? Maybe God is saving us from something or doing something. Sometimes we may not even know. Mordecai probably never knew that he was meant to die that day. He doesn't even know that the, him just hearing that, him just overhearing somebody trying to plot, or those people trying to plot to kill the king would be what would save him another time. So sometimes God works behind the scenes without us actually knowing that God is doing that. Okay, so we'll carry on now and we'll read chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. After, the, after, 
After these things, King Xerxes promoted Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamaditha, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gates bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had, not, had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. The king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? And when they spoke to him day after day, he would not listen to them. And they told him Haman, and they told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for he had told them he was a Jew. Okay, all right. So Persia is like the United Kingdom today. So it's a, it's a kingdom with people from different nationalities um, living together, okay? So people from different places could hold high positions in office. So he, like here, we've got King Charles, and we've got Rishi Sunak of Asian origin being prime minister. So this is how it was like. So um, Haman was an Agagite. He was an Amalekite. And he had been made prime minister to the king, second in command, okay? Now, the king had commanded everybody to bow before him. And this one person called Mordecai refuses to do that. Now, this really, really, really annoys Haman. I mean, he's, he's second in command. Apart from the king, he, he's the boss, he's the man. And who is Mordecai to stand there and say, I'm not going to bow to you, okay? So this really infuriates him. But let's look at history. The Amalekites and the Jews were enemies, and they had been enemies for ages, history way, way back. Right from when the um, Israelites were leaving, left Egypt, okay? And the Amalekites had attacked them when the Israelites were weak, and God commanded that they, God actually promised that he would wipe the Amalekites out. So in First Samuel, God through Samuel tells Saul to go off and kill all the Amalekites, all living things there, man, woman, child, donkey, sheep, every living thing. And then um, Saul goes, he kills everything, but brings back Agag. And God is not pleased with uh, Saul for doing that. And finally, Samuel actually kills Agag. So you, the Amalekites and the, um, and the Israelites were, were enemies. So Agag, um, what's his name? Haman, being an Amalekite, would not like a Jew. They had previously killed all their people. So Haman was ready to kill all Jews. So it wasn't just Mordecai at this point. He wanted to avenge, kill everybody, okay? Kill all the Jews, just as was done when in the time of Saul. Um, where am I? Okay. And he actually offers the king money to, to kill his people, to kill the Israelites. Okay, so we'll read now Esther 3, 7 to 11. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the 12th year of King Xerxes, they cast pu, that is, they cast lots, or rolled the dice, before Haman day after day, and they cast it month after month till the 12th month, which is the month of Adar. <coughs> then Haman said to King Xerxes, 
There is certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws. So that is not to the king's prophets to tolerate them. If it please the king, let it be, be decreed that they be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business, and they may put it into the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman the Agagite, the son of, Ham of Hamaditha, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, the money is given to you, the people also, to do with them as it seems good to you. Now, there was some sort of discrimination against the Jews in Persia, okay? They were clearly not liked. This must, be, this, this must have influenced, as we've read before, influenced Mordecai telling Esther not to reveal her nationality. Because maybe if she had done, she wouldn't have got the favor that she got in the palace. Okay. Maybe if she had done, she wouldn't even have been chosen to be, um, to be part of the ladies for the pageants. Okay. The, the Jews were feared. It looked like something or someone was arranging things for their benefit. You did not want to mess with a Jew. Later on in chapter 6, verse 13, um, Haman's wife even warns him and says, Since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will, you will surely come to ruin. So Haman was particularly prejudiced against the Jews, most likely because of the Amalekites and the Jews being historic enemies. So maybe that was the reason he was. Um, he didn't like the Jews or... He had, maybe he had a reason, maybe he didn't. But in our world today, we find people being prejudiced for no valid reason. We find people prejudiced against others because of their race, color, maybe because of their religion, uh, because they are poor, or, or maybe because they're on benefits, or homeless, disabled, single parents, divorced, asylum seekers, immigrants, the list goes on. The sad thing is, the body of Christ is no different. It is no different. You find some Christians doing exactly that. You find some Christians even believing they are better Christians than others. We may be conscious, or, may, or sometimes we could be even unconscious about it. There might be certain things that we can admit straight away. Oh, yeah, I don't like them. But there might be some that we may not even know. And we would only find out if we are faced with a particular situation. Okay, so we ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and take out any form of prejudice we may have against others, that we may truly love our neighbors as ourselves. Being prejudiced comes from a place of pride, believing we are better than others, or maybe we sin better, you know. Maybe I gossip once every three months, or maybe every month, or every two weeks, or maybe every day, but that's okay. God is gracious. My sin is no, you know, it's, it's not much. But you know my neighbor, John? Uh, he's a drug dealer. He's been in prison, you know, a few times. His sin is worse. I, I can't be associated with him. I'm a Christian, you know, I can't. We believe we are better, but that's not what God has called us to. 
Christ calls us to humility. He modeled that by humbling himself to come down from his glory in heaven, to come down here on earth to die for our sin, even when we were sinners. He didn't wait for us to be better or be good. He came to die for us whilst we were sinners. When Christ came to earth, he mingled with the people that we may think those people are not worthy, you know, with the people who were cheating, maybe prostitutes, um, or the people that we wouldn't want to, to be associated with. Okay. When we read Romans 12, Paul says, Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with the body of Christ. We are many parts of one body, and we belong to each other. And also in verse 8 of Esther, uh, yeah, we are one body in Christ, okay? So we are no better than any other person. We are the same, and we are to love each other the same, okay? Now, in verse 8 of Esther chapter 3, Haman tells the king, Certain people dispersed among the peoples in the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of all other people. There was, there was something that set the Jews apart from the people of Persia. They did their things differently. This is actually what God has called us to. Our lives must be different. Our lives must be different to the people around us. People should be able to tell the difference between us and others. Now let's ponder on this for a little bit. How does being different look to you? Like how do you think being set apart means? What, what, what are you supposed to, how is it supposed to be like? Like at work, at home, in your community? Would, would your neighbors look at you and say, mm, there's something different about this person? In school, in uni, would someone be able to say there's something different about this person? Or are we all the same, exactly the same as everybody else, as our neighbors, as the people we work with? We, we say the same things. Are we different? As head of an, of an, on an organization, as a head of a family, does your wife, your children, do they see Christ in you? Are you different? Are you different from other fathers? Are you different or you are exactly the same? If we profess to be a follower of Christ, there must be something different about us from the world. We must stand out. In these times where the truth about God is being clouded, there is a desperate need for Christians to stand out, to be different. Being, di being different isn't something comfortable. I standing here is very uncomfortable for me. <laughs> I, I normally like to hide. I just want to blend in. Nobody notices me. But that's not what God has called us to. He has called us to stand out. Okay. Romans 12, 2 tells us, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We are set apart for God. We are to act and think differently. God chose us for a purpose. 1 Peter 1, 2, 9, 
2 verse 9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of the darkness into this marvelous light. A chosen nation. People for his possession that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. We have to be different. Matthew 5, 16 says, we should let our light so shine that men may see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. People are drawn to light. When you enter a place or a room and it's dark, you straight away look for a switch to turn on the lights. Or if there's curtains, you'd want to draw it, draw it so that there'll, there'll be light. Okay, if we are the lights, people are supposed to be drawn to us. We are supposed to bring light into situations. Okay, so whilst here in this country, I've never experienced a power outage. But back home in Ghana, it all happens like it's a regular occurrence. You'd have, you could have days of no lights, okay? And let's say you had lights, and then all of a sudden it goes off. You'd hear the whole community where I'm from. It'll go like, oh, <laughs> everybody. Like you'd hear, even if you were somewhere, you'd hear everybody go, oh, for frustration, you know? And then when the lights come back on, ah, yaso, <laughs> yaso. Yes, so yes, the lights are on, the lights are, the children will be excited, happy, you know. The lights are back on. Everybody wants lights. Nobody wants to be in darkness. Okay, so you are supposed to bring light wherever you are. You're supposed to stand out. You're supposed to stand out. You are the light. And we are the salt as well. We are called to be the salt as well. Okay. What does salt do? We are called to be the salt of the earth. Salt preserves. It saves something from going bad. We are supposed to stop or save others from perishing. It enhances flavors, okay? So we are supposed to enhance the world. We are supposed to make it better, sweeter. So where you are, you are supposed to make life different, better, different in a better way for people, okay? And we are supposed to spread, salt spreads. We are supposed to spread around the world. We're supposed to go all out and tell people about the love of God and to bring light into situations. To be the salt and the light of the world, we need the presence of the Holy Spirit. We cannot do it on our own. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to dwell in us, to help us and compel us towards living righteously. This does not mean we will not sin, but we will become more aware of our personal sin and have a genuine desire to do what is pleasing to Christ. Now, back to our story. Why did Mordecai decide not to bow to Haman? Oh, yeah, go for it. Excellent. God commanded the Israelites in Exodus 20. He told them he's a jealous God. So he told them not to worship any other God but him and not to bow 
to any other God. He said they shouldn't make anything that, that they would worship, you know, just him and him alone. So Mordecai was dedicated to God. And he wasn't going to bow to man. When we read the Bible, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had the same conviction. They refused to bow down and worship the image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar made. They only wanted to bow to God. Thank you. Right, okay, so back again. So now let's finish. Uh, read Esther 3, 12 to 15, please. Then the king's scribes were summoned on the 13th day of the first month, and an edict according to all that Haman commanded was written to the king's satraps and to the governors over all the provinces and to the officials of all the peoples, to every province in its own script and every people in its own language. It was written in the name of King Xerxes and sealed with the king's signet ring. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with instructions to destroy, to kill, and annihilate all Jews, young and old, women and children, in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. A copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every province by proclamation to all the people to be ready for that day. The couriers went out hurriedly by order of the king, and the decree was issued in Susa, the citadel. And the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was thrown into confusion. Confusion. Okay, so we, the city of Susa had people of different nationalities living together, doing, going about their own business, you know, everybody doing their own thing, like London, UK, Different nationalities, we're all here working, doing our own thing. Then one day, the king sends out an order. A certain group of people are all to be killed in one day. Wow. The city was in confusion. We will be confused. We will be like, what? How? One person, one man refuses to bow, and a whole group of people are going, a massive genocide is planned. Okay. Now, this was totally out of the blue was for, 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 for the people. They, they couldn't believe, couldn't understand what was going on, hence the confusion. What on earth is this? If it was today, I mean, we would have news, you know, reporters from all over the world landing at Susa the following, probably even that same day. What is going on? You'll be on the TV, everywhere. Twitter, the, the new one, the new one. Thread. It will be um, on Instagram, Facebook, everywhere. There'll be debates about it. It'll be on the radio. It'll be everywhere. Because this was so out of the blue. Why? Why would they do that? Anyway. Now, let me ask you a question. If you were a Jew in that time, how would you feel? Scared. How would you feel towards Mordecai? Let's be honest. How would you feel towards Mordecai? Would you say, oh, well done, you stood up for God? Ah, 
That's really good. Oh, you, oh, thank you for standing up. Now we are all happy. We're all going to die. Would you say that? No, I definitely wouldn't. I will be so upset. I mean, why? Why would you do that? I mean, I'm sure people told him. We, we know people told him because the men at the gates were trying to convince him day in, day out. Mordecai, just bow, man, just bow. Nope, I'm not doing it. Mordecai, please, just bow. No, I'm not doing it. And I'm sure the, there must have been other Jews trying to convince him, you know, looking for scriptures, telling him, oh, no, but the scripture says this and that and whatever. And Mordecai still refuses to bow. And now, because Mordecai had rocked the boat, no, he hadn't just rocked the boat. He's basically taking the boat, hit an iceberg, and Titanic, psh, we're all sinking. So, I mean, and no, I, I'm sure most of the Jews were not happy about that. So um, maybe some Jews even wanted and tried to persuade him to bow before Haman. We see that, well, I've said that, we see the other. I'm sure some people called him arrogant, self-important, doesn't listen to advice, you name it. And now they must all suffer in the consequences of Mordecai's action. The death sentence had already been sealed, execution dates set. Even the king himself couldn't change that. Once the king's seal was on the decree, it was law, and it couldn't be reversed. So they are all meant for doom now. What does Mordecai standing up for the right thing before God tell us? Doing, doing what is right before God will not always make you popular. People could hate you for it, even family and friends. The rewards of doing right are sometimes, not, are sometimes delayed. Doing what is right before God may bring uncomfortable consequences. We may even face death. Guess what? Once you say, I have decided to follow Jesus, this is exactly what you have signed up for. As a follower of Christ, you will face resistance from the world. 2 Timothy 3 verse 13 says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ, in Christ Jesus, will be persecuted. Did Christ promise a rosy path or comfortable life? Nope. Following Christ is a narrow path with a small gate and only a few find it. Matthew 7, 13 to 14. Jesus calls us to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow him. Luke 9, 23. We read about how the early apostles and disciples of Christ suffered whilst propagating the gospel. Some even lost their lives in the process. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8 and 9. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Even Christ himself suffered at the hands of the very people he came to save. But that needed to happen to fulfill scripture. God's plan to redeem mankind back to himself. But for all this trouble, we have been promised a great reward. Matthew 5, 10 and 11 Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. 
Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Mark 10, verse 29 to 30. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times much in the present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions. So even when he's promising, he's still telling us the persecutions will come. It, it is what it is. And in the age to come, eternal life. We know there would be adversity for us, for sure. But, but, this, is, but, for, but this one with a purpose and a leading to the joy of the Lord leading to eternal life. If, so, if any of these apply to you, please raise your hands quickly. I've just come to the end of it. So we'll have a short prayer for you. So, God is calling us to step out of our comfort zones and stand up for him. It's maybe as little as professing you are a Christ follower. Some of us have friends, family, colleagues who do not know we are Christians. We are too afraid to be judged, so we hide our identity in Christ. We find it easy to say, oh, you know, go back to work on Monday. Oh, how was your weekend? Oh, it was good. I went to this. I went to the gym. We never mentioned that we went to church. We don't want to be judged. But Mark 8, 38, Jesus says, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, my, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his father's glory with the holy angels. It may be sharing the message of salvation to your friends and family. From the last census, 2021, the percentage of people who profess to be Christians here in England and Wales was 46%, a 13% drop from 59% in 2011. In 10 years, we've got 13% drop. In that same time, the people who said they had no religion increased by 12%. We really have our work cut out. The harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. Telling our friends and families and loved ones about the love of Christ and that he came to die for all isn't just the work of the church leaders or certain people. It is for all of us. Each and every one of us, young, old, every one of us. Jesus commands us in Mark 16, verse 15. Are you willing to stand and be a laborer for Christ? Or are we just being consumers of Christ? You may be in a position where you can speak out on behalf of others where there is injustice. You may be in a position of authority where you can use your influence to change a bleak situation for someone or a group of people. Again, we are called to be the light and the salt. Haman had the king's ear, but he decided to use it to destroy others. As a Christ follower, we are to be the light. And our influence is to bring joy, peace, and clarity for others. Maybe you're already stepping out and facing persecutions, and you feel like giving up, God is encouraging you today 
to put your trust in him. He sees you. As Anne says, he knows you. He knows your name, as Anne said this morning. He knows you. Okay. Trust God to weave together the events of life for your best, even though you may not be able to see the overall pattern. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your people. We ask that you give us the courage to step out and stand out, O oh God. May your Holy Spirit be with us. Stir in us, O oh God. Help us to be bold and to stand out for you. Help us to remember that you are with us in all situations. And even if we don't see you moving, you are still with us. And you haven't forsaken us. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.